What's up? Welcome in to the latest episode of the Irish Huddle Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. I'm Patrick Engel, joined as always by Tyler Horka. Notre Dame opening up spring practice uh, now five days ago as we record this. We got a little snippet into there, and uh, you can go on blueandgold.com, $1 for a year. Find our coverage there, both from Thursday's practice, from Saturday's uh, media availability with Tommy Reese and the quarterbacks, and for our upcoming full practice viewing session on Saturday. But little teaser until then was watching some scratching in the first five periods of practice, which on paper seems kind of vanilla. But with all the changes, all the new staff starting, of course, at the top, still kind of an interesting little peek into it. Ty, you were down there on field level shooting some some stuff with the camera there, but uh, curious to see your takeaways from kind of that up-closer point. Uh, whereas I was up in the balcony just trying to do a roll call basically for the first little part of it. But your takeaways, your observations, whether that be new coaches, new players, uh, idiosyncrasies, uh, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, a lot of it felt the same as what we've seen fall camp, uh, Fiesta Bowl practices. Uh, you know, it's it's business as usual for the most part for these guys. To, you know, it's not their first rodeo practicing football. They they get up, they, they they line up, they know what they're doing. But a lot of it did feel new because you look around and you see a lot of new faces, especially on that coaching staff. And I was like making mental notes of, all right, there's Chancey Stuckey, there's Delon McCullough, and all these other new coaches and and you try to pick up on some of their uh, mannerisms, try to pick up on how they act when a drill is not in process. I think that's when you learn the most is when you're looking at guys in moments of uh, stretching lines, for example, the coaches really don't have to do much, but that's when you want to watch them and say, okay, who's he talking to? What does he feel like he needs to be doing right now? Because in essence, you don't really need to be doing anything. Let these guys stretch. Then they get to you in your position groups. And that's when you go at it in the practice. But I saw a lot of um, mini Marcus Freeman's out there, I would say, in that a lot of the guys were going up and down the stretching lines, patting people on the back. That's not to say this didn't happen when Brian Kelly was here because it did. But if there was ever a sense of a, you know, a complacency value there in the sense that, Brian Kelly had been at Notre Dame for 12 years and this had been such a well-oiled machine. And this is the way things happen when Brian Kelly's the head coach of the fighting Irish. I think that's been wiped away. Uh, That was wiped away in December, but to still see that in March, I think that was my biggest takeaway was that, okay, this is a new era. And on the flip side of that, I mentioned business as usual. It did seem a little subdued and, you know, we saw a couple practices in December and it looked like, these guys were so excited that Marcus Freeman was their head coach and they could feel palpable energy that things were changing. It kind of got the sense that the calendar has now flipped to 2022. There's a Fiesta Bowl loss in between Marcus Fre- Freeman being named head coach and where they are at right now. And I think all eyes are on 2022. Obviously, these spring practices are important, but it's never too early to look ahead and say, hey, what do we have for this upcoming 2022 season? kind of felt like that was the case when I was down there on the field. Yeah, it definitely seemed more business-like, and that's not necessarily in a, in a bad way, but less less honeymoonish, for lack of a better term. Whereas you, you hear Freeman talk about demanding but not demeaning, and you know we, we think of the, this guy's personality being as smooth and as, as natural and as welcoming as any head coach. But you kind of get the sense that the demanding part set in of it that it's clear like standards have been 
been laid out there and laid out there in winter workouts and laid out there by the new staff and time to time to go get about it. But one guy you mentioned and one guy you've written a lot about, it was pretty easy to hear Chancey Stuckey from from anywhere. The 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 energy there is is definitely uh, exuberant. Let's say you could. I was kind of right above where he was doing receiver drills where. You know he's throwing the ball in 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 these things, and there there was one where they're they're working on what he called like the hardest catching football, which is going across the middle and then catching a low throw behind you. So I, I think that was kind of neat and just interesting way to see a a guy who's been around the game for a while and been in at its highest level in the NFL and is is late thirty, so he's not young young, but he's been a coach for three years. So interesting to kind of get a, a look into how this guy who's been a position coach for one year and barely been in the profession has, has gone about it. And you got the sense that he did that in a, a veteran, but youthful, energetic type of way. But yeah, that was, that was my main observation from it. But we, we talked to Freeman afterwards on Thursday. We got Reese and the quarterbacks on Saturday, Notre Dame, Notre Dame wasting no time at all, giving the people what they want with that. But uh, your takeaways from talking to Freeman and, and talking to, uh, Reese and, and Drew Pine and, and Tyler Buckner there? I'll start by throwing out another observation that I saw in the practice itself. And obviously I've got a camera out there. And if, if you watch our videos on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel, then you see a lot of what we shoot. And I was shooting a lot of quarterbacks and I couldn't help but notice Marcus Freeman just walking in the background of a lot of the quarterback footage that I was shooting. And he just kind of plopped there, stood there. And Tommy Reese, one of the examples that I saw was Ron Palace, who could be a fourth string quarterback by the time the depth chart is finalized in the fall. Tommy Reese just blatantly stopped the drill and started coaching Ron Palace up in front of all the other quarterbacks. The quarterbacks are standing there, Drew Pine, Tyler Buckner, everybody. And Tommy Reese showed him a couple of times. This is what I want you to be doing. He was just dropping back, you know, shifting his body weight, showing Ron Palace what he wanted. And Marcus Freeman is right there intently watching the whole thing. So that right there told me that this is a group effort in determining who, not only who this quarterback is going to be, but what Notre Dame wants out of these quarterbacks, all four of the scholarship guys. And then, like you said, yeah, we got to talk to them. And I mean, look, you talked to Tyler Buckner for about 20 minutes. I talked to Drew Pine for about 20 minutes. I think we both came away saying the same thing. These guys seem polished and this is all off the field stuff. We have so much to talk about on the field and we'll see more practices and, and we'll talk about that more. But in terms of off the field, I think Notre Dame has what it wants in two guys that are supposed to lead a program with this prestige level. And Drew Pine has been here for two, three years now. So he knows what that looks like because he learned it from Ian Book and then he learned it from Jack Cohn. Tyler Buckner's only a sophomore, so he hasn't had much to learn, but it seems like he's already grasped what this means and what it would mean to be the starting Notre Dame quarterback. And talking to Tommy Reese, it kind of seemed the same way. He's like, look, these guys have to do all of these things. They need to improve in this way and they need to improve in that way. But I have the guys that I want. We just need to mold them into what their final form might be. And who knows, that might be years down the road for both of them. They have so much room to improve. But right now, as it stands, I think, Notre Dame likes what it has in those two guys specifically. And uh, Marcus Freeman being a part of this, Tommy Reese being a part of this, the, the fact that it's a group effort, I think Notre Dame's headed in the right direction with its quarterbacks. Yeah, that was one of the things I had kind of observed as well in talking to Reese where it was, I, I asked him like, what's the emphasis with Tyler now? And it was well, kind of a twofold thing. And, and one of them 
going to your point was go act like the starter basically go act like a leader and that seemed to be kind of an area where reese had implied that this is an area where drew pine has an, an advantage over him just based on that's that's his personality and i think that's what we've both seen in our interactions with pine but they gave him a chance to do that both of them but buckner especially in swat workouts they were co-swat team captains and their swat team won the the SWAT contest where it's all points and their team had the most points out of, of any of them. So just a good idea, I think, on, on their part to throw him into that area and give him a chance to act like it, go command a room, command people, and, and get used to that part of it. Whereas I know what everybody wants to see is the accuracy improvement, what he can do on the field, how much he goes and, and improves on his ceiling. And if he does all of that, of course, and makes enough progress toward that, he'd be very surprised if he's not starting September 3rd. But I think that is kind of an important aspect of it too, of be that voice where Jack Cohn just kind of was that because he'd done it before. Book was that because he kind of grown grown into it. I think they want to see Buckner grow into that as well. And even though we think about, okay, what's he going to look like on the field? And every single throw is going to go through this like microscope, whitewash, be overanalyzed, everything. But I don't think you can understate that part of it too. But I thought the most interesting thing Marcus Freeman said was, about his involvement with the quarterbacks and really what I think his message was there is he's pretty forthcoming and really was forthcoming about what he has to learn about the coaching quarterbacks and working with the offense. Cause he's never done it before. He wasn't an offensive player in college. Uh, I, I don't think he's played any offense since high school. And I had to go look back at an old interview I did with his high school coach to see what exactly that position was. But even within that, he's also pretty clear about, wanting to be involved with that and his desire to be involved with that because he's the head coach and Buckner and Pine both brought up like free, the idea of Freeman yelling at them. So it's not like he's just going to be a guy who's sitting there behind watching Reese and taking notes on a notepad. And just like, you're wondering what's going through his mind. Like he wants to be up in there and, and actually working with them, not to usurp Reese, but to be involved in that as a head coach, because head coaches have that ability. And He's been pretty deliberate both in what he had mentioned and, and what Tommy Reese had mentioned, what the QBs have told us, in trying to earn that kind of credibility so it's not just, all right, there's this guy and he's just doing this because he's the head coach and because he can. Like, Be intentional about getting to know the guys and learning the offense and, and being clear that, hey, I'm still trying to learn here too, but I can help you with from a defensive perspective and I want you to know that I'm in your corner. And Freeman's put in meetings with them every week, but Freeman and the quarterbacks, no Reese, no one else, just get to know you, watch film, talk about non-football stuff, whatever it might be. And I just think that was a good sign as far as him trying, like understanding, like I need to have credibility here before I can just show up and start coaching the QBs because I'm the head coach and because I have this decision power now. Yeah, Pine himself, said Marcus Freeman is the epitome the epitome of a Notre Dame football coach and it's one thing to hear that from I don't know Kurt Heinisch who is the epitome of a Notre Dame football player playing in the trenches painting his face black and plugging up the middle of the line of scrimmage every single play it's another thing to hear it from a guy who could potentially be the starting quarterback in Notre Dame and for all intents and purposes if Kurt Heinisch is a Notre Dame guy on the defensive side of the football I think Drew Pine is the epitome of a Notre Dame 
offensive football player. He was wearing a, a shamrock necklace during his uh, media availability. And it was, you know, right over his, his shirt, clear as day. Everyone saw it and he was even asked about it. So to hear it from a guy like that, I think it's, it speaks to what you wrote about Patrick at blueandgold.com and what you just talked about in the sense that Marcus Freeman isn't doing this because he's head coach and he has to, he's doing it because he wants to, and he knows it's going to make the football program better. If Marcus Freeman is educated on what's happening offensively. Then I think it's going to prevent maybe some things like we saw at the Fiesta bowl where, you know, it's been mentioned on our message board. He had some blank stares. That's well-documented. It happened. Marcus Freeman wants to make sure those blank stares don't happen at Ohio State or when Notre Dame is hosting Clemson. The more he does now to make sure that doesn't happen, then, yeah, it's probably not going to happen in the season when it matters. So I think from the start, spring practice is so important for all of these different reasons. It's important for a new head coach to get acclimated with the things that he is supposed to be doing. And Marcus Freeman is doing that. The quarterbacks are going to be better as a result. Marcus Freeman is going to be a better head coach as a result as well. Yeah, I wrote this after the Fiesta Bowl where it's not necessarily like what happened in that game that's going to define Freeman or indicate his capability or lack thereof in this job. It's how you respond to it. And I think from what you outlined and what I just mentioned there is a pretty deliberate effort to respond to it and, and deal with the aftermath of, all right, why did this happen? What do I have to improve? What does this staff need? And how to attack it? So I think that's one good example of how he's going about trying to make sure yeah those moments of i don't have an answer here uh, don't happen again but before we move on i, I think it's worth kind of just going over some newsy things from his uh, first presser uh sebo flemister running back uh, no longer on the roster i don't think that's really a major surprise uh, Tariq bracy uh, is coming back as a super senior he's the sixth to return um, at least among guys who were on Notre Dame's roster before. Uh, don't think that should be understated considering what the cornerback position looked like last year and, and kind of who they're relying on right now to try to uh, expand that rotation. Uh, Cam Hart, speaking of corners, Jason Admalola, defensive tackle, both out for the spring. Uh, they've got some shoulder things. Josh Lobb, meniscus surgery in December. He was back, full practice uh, today, uh, even though, 12-game starter at right tackle. Uh, I think we're going to end up seeing him at guard. Uh, any Your reactions and, and takeaways to those uh, little bits of things? Yeah, you mentioned it with Sebo Flemister. Probably not a surprise, just based on what's happened in his entire last calendar year, the off-field stuff. Uh, I think everybody knows about that. That probably played into the on-field stuff, and he just wasn't a big factor in the Notre Dame running back room this past season. And because of that, got passed up by a couple of true freshmen and Logan Diggs and Audric Estime. And as a potential fifth-year senior, I don't think you want to go into a situation where you might be fourth on the depth chart. So Sebo Flemister is out. Tariq Bracey is back. We've talked about the secondary and how it might be the weakest unit on the Notre Dame defense. And I think that bolsters that. You have a guy with experience that can play nickel. Um, I even think he could maybe play a little bit of field if uh, Clarence Lewis is – the Clarence Lewis of the Fiesta Bowl, but there's a lot of guys in that conversation. I like Bracey at nickel just because of his size and tackling ability there. So that's, a, like you said, that can't be understated. I think that's really big that he's coming back. The injuries we knew about with Cam Hart and Jason Adamalola, um, 
you call them shoulder things. I've had shoulder things my entire life. So I sympathize with them. I saw them going through some rehab drills in the corner and it kind of brought back some PTSD when I had shoulder surgery as a high school hockey player. So I wish them well in getting back, but these guys are taken care of by the, the best athletic staffs out there. I mean, college football training staffs are, are so good these days. So, so we'll see them back in fall camp. I guarantee you uh, as full participants. And then Josh Lug was huge. I went into the the spring thinking, okay, meniscus surgery. It was a meniscus that he got cleaned up, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So three months ago, I mean, gets his knee cleaned out. I don't know. I, I would have, especially when you're moving all that weight at that size, maybe hold him out of the spring. But I think where with where the offensive line is and Harry Heastan coming back, you want as much continuity as you can get, as much chemistry as you can gather from the spring session. So it was awesome to see him there. I'm really um, interested to see if he does, like you say, play guard and, and maybe start at right guard. Because if he does, I think we've said it time and time again throughout the offseason that starting five on the offensive line is probably set. Yeah, and when we uh, talked to him in January, when a lot of the, the fifth and sixth year guys had a, a media availability, Lug kind of said it without saying it, that, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to guard and – I'm cool with that, considering who he saw uh, play that play the tackle positions in the Fiesta Bowl, and and how everybody saw how, how Blake Fisher and Joe Alt fared there, and yeah, a couple other injuries to mention. Speaking of meniscus, Pat Coogan, uh, we saw him wearing a big brace. He's out for the spring. Uh, that was a meniscus thing, and then this occurred in Thursday's practice after we left. Uh, Aiden Kianiana out for the spring and likely the 2022 season uh, with an ACL tear. Uh, some unfortunate news for a guy who I was. Curious to watch and probably figure was going to get a shot in the two deep this year. But that's that's it on the, the injury front and other news front, at least for now. Ty, how about we give the people what they really came here for? Questions? Let's do them. Subscribe your questions. We will get to those after a word from our sponsors. What's up, Notre Dame fans? It's Reggie Brooks. I'm here to tell you I'm meeting my biggest fans on Meat League. Let's talk Notre Dame football past and present. A portion of the proceeds will go to the Hostess Heroes Foundation, and one lucky winner will win two tickets to the BYU-Notre Dame game in Las Vegas. So download Meet Lead or to your iPhones and meet me at Meet Lead. We are proud to announce a new sponsor for this podcast, Augie's Locker Room. Augie's Locker Room, which is located less than a mile away from Notre Dame Stadium, was named the best Notre Dame's collectible shop in the country. This shop is amazing. If you are a passionate Notre Dame fan and are looking for that special Notre Dame piece to complete your rec room, Augie's is the place to go. They have a wide selection of Notre Dame stadium pieces, jerseys, helmets, autographs, and one-of-a-kind rock knee items. They have an exclusive Joe Montana signed items. If Augie's doesn't have it in store, he will find it for you. Visit AugiesLockerRoom.com or stop in at 1811 South Bend Avenue and see the vintage helmet display dating back to 1890. AugiesLockerRoom.com or call 574-277-NDND. All right, we had several subscribers send us questions uh, on the loose emoji board at blueandgold.com. Again, you can get a year subscription, access to the board, and all our content for $1 for an entire year. Let's get started with some questions here. Go Irish 52 asks who handles kicking, punting, and field goals, and we'll combine that with a question from Boston Irish, who asked the same thing about kick returning and punt returning. So special teams time. And we've seen Brian Mason really go hard on the walk-on 
uh, imports here to bring in some more competition at, at this spot. And yeah, Notre Dame's losing its main kicker, its main punter, and main punt return. For me, the the kicking, well, really the kicking and the punting, two-way battle there for both of those positions. Kickers, you have Blake Groupie, who is the all-time leading scorer in Arkansas State history. So nobody has put more points on a football scoreboard than Blake Groupie. That seems like a good thing. I think he's a fifth-year senior going into his sixth year, so you'd expect him to have some points on the board. But, yeah, you're replacing Jonathan Doerr, who did great things for Notre Dame, especially this past season, made a couple game-winning kicks. Uh, he missed a couple kicks, but never did you – say, oh, yeah, Notre Dame lost that game because Jonathan Doerr didn't make this kick. The Cincinnati miss uh, kind of probably made some people's eyes roll and heads turn and say, man, that might have been a turning point in that game. But overall, you're replacing a guy who was a very solid college kicker. So will it be Blake Rupi or will it be Josh Bryan, who has been with the program, but obviously not in a role where he's contending for a starting job. So I think it's one of those two guys. But you to me, Patrick, I don't think you bring in a guy like Blake Rupi if you don't think he's going to start. Obviously, competition is huge. You mentioned Brian Mason wanting to have competition all over at special teams, not just the specialists, but, you know, kickoff. You know, there's 11 guys on a kickoff team. There's 11 guys on every single special teams unit. So competition across the board. But to me, when you're talking about a kicker, you don't really go out and get a guy if you don't think he's going to start. So. I'll let you get to that in a moment, but that obviously punting is big too. And Notre Dame brought in another transfer uh, in, in that well, and John Sott from Harvard, and maybe a little less acclaim as opposed to Blake Groupie when it comes to what he did as a punter at Harvard, but he still has some stats. If you go look at his bio there on the Harvard page, he's done some good things. He's, he's experienced. I think that's what uh, plays the, the biggest factor when it comes to John Sod is that he's done this before because when I say it's a two-way battle, I think when Bryce McPherson gets here over the offseason, he might be the other option there. And um, when, if you're Notre Dame and you take a guy in the signing class who is a straight-up specialist, then obviously you expect him to start at some point too. So kind of two-way battles there, but I'm leaning toward the transfers that Brian Mason went out and got and brought in as being the starters. I don't know about you, Pat. Yeah, you assume those guys aren't coming for one final year of eligibility, especially Groupie, uh, being that he's on scholarship, if they're not going to have a pretty good shot here. But it is different from when we're sitting in late November when uh, Bryce McPherson committed and you're just thinking, all right, he's coming in for Jay Bramblett, uh, Josh Bryan, uh, acclaimed kicker recruit in his own right, coming in for Jonathan Doerr, just kind of set it and forget it, and you're not really going to pay attention to it in spring because it's not much of a competition as long as you don't just look over there and see him shanking things left and right. But now at least you kind of want to pay attention a little bit in that, all right, you you presume that these are going to be like legitimate battles that aren't decided uh, yet or being decided in spring or as you go on into summer. Like uh, paying attention to punts and kicks in the spring game actually uh, – might have a little bit of consequence as far as separating one guy from the other, as opposed to like, all right, this guy looks like he's serviceable and you know, there was really no other option. And yeah, kick return, punt return, kick return. I mean, I, I I'm just going to assume Chris Tyree is, is going to stay in that role unless otherwise noted, even if the touches for him on offense pick up as he goes to become uh, starting running back or, running back 1A, whatever you want to call it, uh, 
uh, I, I have a hard time thinking anyone else is the best option for kick returns there. And with how few chances you get to return kicks these days, like I don't, I don't really think the the wear and tear there is quite as uh, big a concern as as you might think it would be in punt return. I, I think you're gonna, you should see and will see Lorenzo Styles get a, a long look there to replace Kyron, Kyron Williams. Yeah, I guess I'll kind of touch up on those last two things. Kick return has to be Chris Tyree because, like you said, how many chances do you really get? So the risk is not outweighing the reward. We saw what the reward is against Wisconsin last year at Soldier Field. That game flipped on a dime when Chris Tyree took that kickback. So you have to leave him there and hope that he at least gets a handful of opportunities throughout the year because if he does, he might make good on one of those and – Anytime you get one kick return for a touchdown, I think it's been a, a solid season. You just don't see him as much anymore. In terms of punt return, I'm a little weary putting Lorenzo Styles out there for the same reason Notre Dame might have been a little weary putting Kyron Williams back there last year, even though we saw him for most of the year doing that. It's just Lorenzo Williams or Lorenzo Styles is going to be one of your most relied on offensive weapons. We saw Avery Davis at the practice the other day trying to come back from that ACL injury, that surgery that he had a few months ago. And he looked really good. Uh, we saw him running the ladder, throwing medicine balls and stuff. So maybe the the slot depth is a little better than you would think with Styles, with Davis, and then now on scholarship, Matt Salerno. But it just really worries me. All this talk that we've had about the wide receivers putting a guy like um, Styles back there, maybe he gets lit up. But I, But I do think – He's also a very intelligent player. He's not going to put himself in a precarious situation where he doesn't call a fair catch and all of a sudden, you know, he's laying, looking up at the sky in South Bend saying, what the heck just happened? So I think if you're kind of throwing out the risks with punt return as well, Styles might be your best option there too. Yeah, I think it depends a little bit on philosophy where they're going to keep the same type of thing of just secure the ball and don't fumble and anything you get great like 2020 yeah there might be a, a better case for matt salerno to do that but if you're trying to get something trying to be aggressive like we heard brian mason say last month then i think styles is well worth the shot but irish for life asks and this ties into bonkers question a little bit so we'll kind of combine these uh, underclassmen defensive backs who've been impressing the staff so far and i'll start here i think the buzz on Jaden mickey has been pretty encouraging we even heard marcus freeman kind of uh single him out or shout him out for breaking up a few passes uh, in the close portion of, of practice uh, Thursday that we couldn't see, but that he talked to us afterwards. Not really a surprise for a couple of reasons, just based on one, I, I really liked the his his film and his uh, abilities coming out of high school as a guy who plays a lot bigger than his 5'11-ish, 180-pound listing, can play field or, or slot corner. So you like that versatility there when uh, you really need a guy who, if you want to talk about expanding this rotation, yeah, want to be able to play both of those spots or all right if you expand it to four you have someone who can kind of bump between multiple spots and and give multiple guys a rest there when it's necessary and we certainly saw times where that was necessary uh last year at cornerback and when we talked to him in january there was kind of a like quiet confidence of yeah i even though he didn't come right out and say like and was deliberate in this answer of oh yeah i could have helped in the fiesta bowl or i know that and he was, you kind of got the sense of like a sense of belonging here and a, a feeling that he can make a difference and will start to show that this spring. 
So kind of one to watch right there as, as far as all right, a, a guy who's stood out among underclassmen defensive backs at a position where you need somebody. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm going to be looking at Mickey for a long time in this practice that we get to watch Saturday. And for listeners that don't know about that, we get to watch the entire practice Saturday, which is something that really we might only have the opportunity to do twice a year where you watch maybe one entire practice in the spring, one in the fall. So guys like Jaden Mickey, uh, Jaden Bellamy, and some of those other younger corners that we saw a lot last year who just obviously weren't ready to take the next step because when Notre Dame needed to call on guys last year in the secondary and uh, it, it was time for guys to maybe get some some reps in game action, it didn't happen. I want to see some of those guys again this in this practice and then throughout the spring and the fall to say, okay, maybe if this guy goes down with an injury, then this guy is ready to come in because we talk a lot about the Notre Dame wide receivers just not producing. And last year, outside of Kevin Austin Jr., I know Avery Davis was pretty good until he went down with that ACL injury. Braden Lindsay had the best season he's ever had, but we're still talking about uh, less than 700, 800 yards combined out of those two guys last year. Kevin Austin Jr. went over 800 by himself. So you're looking for a consistency across the board. Those wide receivers were kind of torching some of these defensive backs in practices that we got to see last year. It's, it just seemed like any time you looked up, there goes Braden Lindsay uh, torching Justin Walters or you know, fill, fill in the blank with whatever guy. It was just like, man, these wide receivers look really good. Well, it turned out the wide receivers were kind of average again. So what does that tell you about the defensive backs? So to answer your question, throughout the spring, and especially this Saturday when we get to watch a full practice, I want to see if those guys have made strides and they can stay step for step with a guy like Lindsey who's back or Joe Wilkins who's coming off of his knee surgery. What do they look like against these guys? Because those guys are good. They're not the best in college football. You know, if you can't cover them, you're not going to be able to cover these guys that Ohio State throws at you on September 3rd. So I think just the fact that we're getting a question about young DBs tells you all you need to know about where Notre Dame fans' heads are as it, when it comes to the secondary. little bit of concern there, and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. Valid concern. And sometimes you just need another year as a young DB, like I think Cam Hart kind of illustrated in 2020. Maybe you're just not quite ready for it, but – you saw what another year uh, could do for him. Curious to see if that sophomore trio, uh, one of those guys or multiple of those guys kind of illustrates that same thing or if it's just going to take a little longer, uh, if at all, uh, for, for those guys to, I guess, make make a strong case of being in the rotation. But Tofuzz asks, I'm not sure if I really want to know the backstory of the nickname or the subscriber name or don't want to know at all. Either way, any position changes uh, for the Notre Dame has uh, made this spring. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to see any kind of 11 on 11 or anything that would discern a depth chart, but no, not right now. I mean, I, I'm now even more curious to see how they shift some things around on the defensive line uh, with Aiden Keaniana injured and to see, all right, if there's shifts on that defensive line with O'Reilly Mills from, and tackle or Gabriel Rubio from three tack to nose or Justin Admalola from Viper to strong side end or a little bit of both. But as far as like concrete things, no Freeman didn't illustrate anything. Uh, Jordan Batelho still with the linebackers uh, working at, at Rover there. 
uh, Jalen Sneed uh, working at Rover. Uh, Jaden Bellamy, the freshman, he's starting out at corner. Uh, Osita Aquanu, uh, still listed as a defensive end there, and we saw him with some sometimes with the linebackers, sometimes with outside with the defensive linemen. So curious to see him there a little bit if there's any kind of move he can make coming off of that Achilles injury. But no, nothing major like a offense to defense or a Xavier Watts type of position switch uh, like we heard from last fall. Yeah, when you mentioned that, I think that's where a lot of this comes from is you saw Xavier Watts go through an entire offseason at wide receiver, and then all of a sudden when things start getting a little dire with wide receiver, it's like, okay, yeah, now he's a safety. Or Brian Kelly even said, yeah, he might be playing a little rover at his size, and everyone was so taken aback. I think that's where these position changes questions come from. Uh, I just don't think you're going to see a whole lot of groundbreaking stuff like that in any program, especially twice in, you know, a span of seven or eight months. So to me, it goes back to the defensive line, like you said, because I think I wouldn't really classify those as, I guess they are position changes, but that's more so shuffling to me when a guy like Mills maybe moves to the outside or some of those uh, tackles move around on the inside and just, you know, line up and, literally you know you were lining up right here okay now you're gonna line up a few feet over there and, and put your hand in the ground or, or or whatever it may be that to me that's shuffling and to me that is the essence of coaching too it's just figuring out who you have and where those guys best fit so I think at the end of spring practice we'll have a better understanding of um, and, and we'll have a better we'll be coming from a better place and being able to answer that question and we could say yeah it looks like Riley Mills is going to play strong side defensive end or it looks like Justin Adamalola is going to move from Viper all the way to the other side and play strong side defensive end. So right now we don't really have the answer to those questions, but I think they are valid questions because you have all of these guys. And as if you're a Notre Dame fan, you have all of these figments in your mind of what these guys are going to be. But a lot of that is tied to where they're lining up. You want to know where they're going to line up. I think we'll have a better uh, representation of that after April 23rd. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and really, I think, this Saturday when we get to see some presumably some scrimmage action and some 11 on 11 here should illustrate a little bit of where that shuffling goes on but no right now no full-on offense to defense uh, switches or anything like that Frank Sarah asks do you think Notre Dame gets a grad transfer defensive tackle now that Aiden Keanu is hurt I don't know that I'd put that as transfer priority number one I think that's still pretty clearly wide receiver but I think you can make a case for it absolutely just in terms of defensive tackle numbers here where all right Jacob Lacey across almost assuredly going to be the the starter there for replacing Kurt Heinisch and then whoever's not is either the backup there or number two behind uh, uh, Jason Admirola when he's healthy then all right you kind of figure out I think this, the answer to this goes a little bit into exactly what what they're going to do with Roddy Mills here but yeah, you, you might end up with a situation, especially if Mills uh, kicks out like we, we think is, is definitely possible, where you only have four guys if you include Gabriel Rubio in the two deep. And yeah, if you want some experience there or mainly like a bigger true nose there, like Aiden Keanu, big 6'3", 310-pound guy, that, that's not really Jacob Lacey. That's not really Howard Cross. That's Rubio's closer to that, but still not that. I think you could find some value in that, just kind of a bigger body in there. But 
when that's kind of what you're looking for, you're you're not really going to find the right. This guy was a starter at a power five school for a couple of years and is going to be okay with just being a death piece or anything like that. But yeah, I, I think in terms of just finding another body or a bigger body guy that Kianiana would have been and been able to fill that kind of void. And, and I, I think that's why he would have been one of the main reasons he gets in the lineup. But yeah, I think there's a case to be made there, but I don't know that it's a necessity, uh, especially if you see some good things from Gabriel Rubio this spring. I mean, he was a guy who I was pretty high on coming out of high school, but just kind of you know stuck behind depth in numbers as a freshman. Now uh, you figure he might get a chance there to play some nose and if he impresses in the spring, you know, I, I think that's, you just can kind of be pretty okay with going, all right, go for it. We're good with him. To me, this wasn't an injury when I saw it, where I thought to myself, okay, Notre Dame has to go get a guy to replace him. Because like you said, it's a good depth piece and he can do some things given his size that maybe some of the other guys that you talked about can't, but it's not like you're losing, um, you know, like if, if Brandon Joseph tore his ACL in practice Saturday, I think if you're Notre Dame, you're like, shoot, we have to go get another safety because the safety that we just brought in to be this guy is injured. And Keanu was not that guy on the Notre Dame defensive line. But if you need depth at any position, it's really defensive line because those guys are rotating probably more than anybody else, aside from maybe linebackers when it comes to – both sides of the football. I mean, the front seven when in football is all hands on deck situation and you just lost a valuable hand. But you did mention a guy like Gabriel Rubio. I was really high on him during his freshman year too. I knew that he wasn't going to get many looks just based on what Notre Dame had at both tackle positions last year. But now you lose Kurt Heinisch. And like you said, you have a couple of guys who are front runners, front runners to replace Kurt Heinisch who aren't really the big burly tackles that you imagine when, when you think of defensive tackle at Notre Dame, you think of the big guy who can't be moved and is going to plug up every single hole. I don't think Jacob Lacey and Howard Cross are really those guys. Like you said, Gabriel Rubio closer to that. And I think that there's some things that Gabriel Rubio can do athletically that makes up for maybe a little bit of a lack of size. So the only thing missing there is experience. He did not play a whole lot last year and that'd kind of be throwing him into the fire. So I think if you can kind of rotate those three guys, you do it. It's kind of hard to rotate three, definitely easier to rotate two. So if you're going to rotate two and you're going to include Rubio, then obviously you're kicking one of those Howard Cross or Jacob Lacey's out. It's an interesting conundrum that Al Washington has to deal with and if you do go to the portal and get a guy, then it becomes even more interesting because now you're working with uh, more hands in the all hands on deck situation. But like I said, depth at the defensive line cannot be overstated. All right. We'll end with a, a submitted questions from our colleague, Mike Singer, favorite fast food restaurants. Take these one at a time. Uh, Mike, I can tell you what it's not. It's not Taco Bell. Taco Bell's terrible. I'm sorry. I agree. I live a stone's throw away from a Taco Bell. Like literally I can go outside right now and get to Taco Bell in less than one minute. I've been there one time and, and excuse me for that too. I don't, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that I've gone there. What was that? That's one time too many. 
That's one time too many. Exactly. I, I was in a bind. It was late. It was open. I needed food. That, that's always my thing. Anything is better than nothing. When, when you're starving and need to eat, that's worse for you than eating a couple tacos at Taco Bell to hold you over. But I digress. I'll answer the question. I'm from Texas. It's Whataburger, hands down. That's my favorite fast food place. I lived a stone's throw one. I lived a th stone's throw away from one in college, and that was kind of dangerous because uh, you have a few drinks when you're in college, and it's 2 a.m., and you're like, man, what can I eat? Whataburger is always open, and it's always there. But I can definitely say I went to Whataburger more times than just when I had a few choice beverages. That's what makes it number one for me. I grew up with it. It's always been there for me. It's not there for me right now. I don't know if there's – is there a Whataburger in the state of Indiana? I don't think so. Uh, the furthest north might be like Tennessee or, or something. Yeah, it, no. Nowhere close. And it is unfortunate because, yeah, th th this this podcast has a Texas flair or Texas flavor to it. And, yes, Whataburger was – very close to my place near near SMU. Uh, the spicy ketchup, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, except I lived a stone's throw from McCain's. Uh, I had the same uh, predicament, uh, you'll call it, because uh, it, it was always open, you know, no matter how late it was. I had a soft spot for Cane's. Uh, if I had to pick one, I feel like I would side with Chick-fil-A. That's probably the one I've had the most. But uh, yeah, it, it's a hard one for me to pick just just one especially with yeah i've i have a a soft spot for whataburger uh, not canes thankfully they've expanded nationally there's one in mishawaka there's they're pretty much all over the place but yeah this is this is a whataburger over in and out uh supporting podcast right here that's part of what makes whataburger so great is that when i go home and it's only been two or three times since i moved up here last summer i can anticipate the feeling of getting a burger, getting the fries, sitting down, dunking my fries into the ketchup that you just talked about. Like you start salivating, just thinking about it. And the fact that I can't get it here in South Bend, Mishawaka makes it all the more better when I go and get it in Texas. And I, I need, I need a trip home. My, my little brother graduates in May. Can't wait. Yeah. The first thing I did when I got off the plane, when Notre Dame played at the uh, relocated Rose Bowl, was get the rental car and go to the Whataburger by the, by the airport. Can't, can't let a trip there go without it. But favorite Notre Dame player to cover since we've been here. I'll I'll start here and and give a uh, a shout out to a guy who's been a really enjoyable and, and vivacious interview, and that's Joe Wilkins. Really, really eager to talk to us, open with with everything, always enthusiastic and in, in, in taking his time with us and his his personal story and, and getting here and some of the things he's had to to fight through here. I think only add to that just kind of i'm just glad to 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 be here part of it and, and really enjoying every chance he does does get and a guy i'm also kind of curious to see where he settles in in the spring whether that's in the slot or back up there uh at field receiver where he was for a little bit of of last year or on the boundary because they need bodies there and we saw him make that big contested catch for a touchdown at florida state I'm going to show my Texas bias once again on this podcast and go with Avery Davis, who is a fellow DFW native for some of the same reasons that you mentioned Joe Wilkins. The story is well documented. The knee injury last fall was pretty brutal. Team captain. Uh, I spent 15 to 20 minutes talking to him in January just about that whole process. And at the time, 
when he went down with that knee injury, he flat out told us at that time, I did not know if I was coming back. I thought I had run my last route as a Notre Dame football player. And for a guy that came in from Texas as a quarterback recruit and, you know, what has it been? Three position changes, you know, he's been a defensive back. He's now a wide receiver. He's going to be a team captain again. If he's a team captain last year, I don't see how you don't make him a team captain this year. He's been through so much. Um, and and I mentioned it early, early on the podcast where we're talking to Tommy Reese, Tyler Buckner, and Drew Pine for probably half an hour. We might have been upstairs at the IAC for over half an hour, and the whole place clears out. The field is empty. There were a ton of recruits and their families in there that day. Uh, even the offensive line stayed on the field a little after to get some extra work. And then all of a sudden you look over and Avery Davis is the only guy on the field running ladders, throwing the medicine ball, doing agility work. He clearly wants to make this last season as a college football player, possibly his best yet. I think he can do that. And he's just a really easy guy to root for and a fellow Texan, like I said. So it's easy. Yeah. You really find yourself with him wanting to like rooting for good things to happen to, to that guy based on, all the interactions that enjoyable interactions that we've had with him and, and obviously the things that he's dealt with and gone through. And you, at this point, you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt of that. He's going to bounce back from this and be able to help Notre Dame in some way next year. But we'll end with the last of, uh, of Mike's questions here. You're under the radar, a secret, uh, really deep cut breakout pick this year for Notre Dame. I've talked about him a few times. I've written about him. I really think it's Jaden Thomas just because of, the wide receiver position and where it's at. And you mentioned Joe Wilkins really not knowing where he's going to play slot field. Maybe he could even play boundary. There's so many parts with these moving wide receivers, but at the same time, there's not a whole lot of parts. So you're going to have to throw the ball to somebody if you're Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. And I think that there needs to be more of a rotation. Braden Lindsay played over 80 snaps, close to 80 snaps in the Fiesta Bowl. You got to spell a guy like that, especially if he's a little injury prone and, Look, I I saw every David or I saw uh, Braden Lindsay at the practice the other day, and I don't <clears throat> I don't know if that's just the way he walks, but it looks like man, if this is March, then give this guy some some reps off, and Jaden Thomas could be a guy that could do that, and especially if Joe Wilkins comes back and is able to play that same position, then you're gonna have like a trio of guys there that might be able to catch the ball for those quarterbacks. Jaden Thomas, we talk about all of these sophomore wide receivers, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey. Those are the two that you know are going to play a lot this season. Jaden Thomas is kind of in that gray area. That's what would make him a breakout player if he was able to give you, I don't know, 20 catches, close to 300 yards, maybe a couple touchdowns. I don't know if that qualifies as really breaking out and everyone's saying, oh, my gosh, look at Jaden Thomas. But if he can do that and those other guys that we've already mentioned do what we think they can do, maybe up their production a little bit from last year, then I think you will be talking about Jaden Thomas in the light of that guy was really good for us. He moved the chains a couple of times. He scored a couple of touchdowns. We needed him to be that, and he was. Yeah, I think that qualifies as a breakout. Just, if anything else, of a guy or two emerging to make that untenable three-man rotation in a 72 drop-back game not a concern anymore, even if the stat line is modest. If you have someone like that that ensures something like some rotation like the Fiesta Bowl playing out, that's that's a good thing. We just talked about him. This was going to be 
my answer no matter what, but now I think it's more obvious considering the opportunity you might have, and, and that is Gabe Rubio from uh, the, the athletic and uh, traits that you'd mentioned and the the elusiveness that you see from him on, on, on his high school film. I, I think not only will you have the chance to get in the two deep and, and kind of crack the rotation uh, due to injury, but I, I think he will end up being a piece in the, say, 15 to 25-ish high teens per game snaps uh, that you would think a number two nose tackle would uh, would probably play there. But that's going to do it for our subscriber questions, and that's going to wrap up this episode of the Irish Huddle. We will talk to you guys again probably in early April as we take a week off next week. Uh, Ty's going on a little vacation. We'll come back from then and talk about that open practice, what we get to see, and some other things and takeaways from that scrimmage session that we're going to get this spring. Until next time, take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.